Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back. This is Savvy Psychologist. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and every week I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. What do challenges as diverse as addiction, perfectionism, narcissism, and masochism have in common? They are driven by a family of emotions known as shame. Now, shame has the reputation of a psychological bad boy, all toxic and destructive. But maybe shame is less of a growling guard dog and more of a yappy chihuahua. In other words, maybe shame is something more common and everyday than we think. And maybe it's even something that can be systematically overcome. Which brings us to today's guest. Dr. Joseph Burgo has been practicing psychotherapy for more than 35 years. His articles and commentary have appeared in such publications as the New York Times, The Atlantic, and The Washington Post. He writes a blog titled Shame for Psychology Today, and he's the author of two previous books, Why Do I Do That? and The Narcissist You Know. His newest book is out in just a couple weeks and is titled Shame, Free Yourself, Find Joy, and Build True Self-Esteem. So, Dr. Burgo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for, thanks for being here. So, I, I was really interested to read your book, and um, I, you know, I usually think of shame as kind of a big, entrenched emotion that follows trauma or abuse, like it's something deep and toxic. And I think of it as, like, as I, I think many of us do as like this all capital letters shame. But, but you note that shame is actually quite common and part of everyday life. So tell us how you define shame. I define shame as a whole family of emotions. Um, and what these emotions have in common is a painful awareness of self. So anything that kind of makes you self-aware in an unpleasant way, that's a member of the shame family. That goes from self-consciousness to embarrassment to guilt, to humiliation, to mortification. It can be something mild and transient. It could be something that's profound and lasting. But you know, it's a whole group of emotions, not just this big, scary, toxic thing we usually think of mm -hmm. as shame. And so it's this an umbrella under which, or this, like you said, this whole family of emotions. Right. So they share a physiological basis also. It's, it's this painful awareness of self, but it's usually accompanied by, um, you know, blushing of some part of the mm -hmm. body. You want to avert your gaze, this kind of a an, an reflexive dropping of the head and eyes. You look away. 
you want to run away and hide often, and it, it makes you want to disappear often. And, and as I said, it could be mild and fleeting. It could be like you, you spill your drink at a dinner party and everybody looks at you, and then you get over it in a minute and you go on. Or it could be something deep, profound, and lasting. Mm, that makes sense. Okay, so there's a whole spectrum of shame and the whole kind of spectrum of um, how how deep you might feel it. So where does shame come from? Is it all, you know, trauma and terrible parents? Or, you know, can it come from more benign sources as well? Well, the you know, it, it can come from, it's the big scary kind of shame that comes from trauma and, you know, abusive parents. But everybody feels shame, right? Everybody mm-hmm. throughout the world experiences shame in one way or another. So if it's biologically encoded in our genes, if we all have it, it has to have some kind of evolutionary value. The latest studies show that shame evolved as a way to enforce tribal cohesion. It, it evolved during the long millennia when we lived in tribes and survival for individual and tribe depended on everybody cooperating and obeying the rules and working together. So, being able to experience shame made you want to conform to tribal norms, which were of survival value. So it's got, it has an evolutionary purpose. Um, so it's, it's in there. Different societies make use of that in different ways. Um, you know, you can, whatever the societal values are, you know, a, a Japanese culture might use shame in a different way to enforce its set of values and to make everybody conform to what society expects of them. And, and here in the West, we have a completely different set of um, values and we use shame in a different way. But it's all pretty much the same experience, the same feeling. Mm-hmm. When you describe the physical uh, sensations, that sense of wanting to hide or conceal or run away, because that's definitely universal in uh, when we feel embarrassed or self-conscious or you know socially anxious, or so that makes a lot of sense. And so, how does this manifest? Like, what are some of the behaviors that we might see ourselves doing or other people doing that are kind of waving a flag, saying, "Oh, I'm feeling ashamed," or or uh, shame is being experienced here? I think the the behaviors that most people will recognize immediately are the what I think of as the narcissistic defenses against shame. Mm. Um, they you know the kind of the very defensive reaction. I didn't do anything wrong, or ah, the, bl- yes. the blaming reaction. It's not my fault. You did it. You know what? Do you, why are you criticizing me? You're the one. You know, it's those kind of very aggressive, defensive responses to shame that are, I think are the most obvious indicator that somebody's running. Mm, yes, I agree. And then what are some maybe like small, like not as obvious, what are, what are some of the kind of undercover shame behaviors? Sure. Well, I, in the book, I talk about three different strategies for coping with shame. And, and the middle mm. one is denying shame is what you and I just talked about, the kind of blaming, mm-hmm. accusatory. Then there's avoiding shame. And that can be people who are sh- shy, withdrawn, um, who just become very anxious in social situations and tend to avoid them. So people who who are afraid of shame tend to avoid any situation where it's possible to experience it. So, so like I said, socially anxious people, people mm-hmm. with with performance anxiety, people with stage fright, different strategies for avoiding it. It might not look like shame, but it's all about shame. 
at the extreme end, there are, there are ways of trying to control shame. Uh. And some of these are very common, like people who make self-deprecating comments about themselves. They get there first, right? They control the shame experience by sort of making fun of them before anybody else can do it. Mm-hmm. And in more extreme cases, there are, you know, kind of sadomasochistic relationships are a lot about controlling the experience of shame, scripting it, really. It's known in advance. Those are pretty serious cases. So as as I read your book, I was really struck by the story of Natalie. So you walk through a day in the life of uh, this woman, and she experiences shame in several different ways. Can you Can you tell us about her day? I can. Um, it, it, describing her day was my effort to show people that experiences of small shame in small letters is is very common, and, and I try to relate examples that people will relate to across the board. So Natalie's day begins with oversleeping. Um, she had stayed up too late watching a, her favorite TV program when she meant to go to bed, and she overslept her alarm. And it means she's going to be late for work when she's been trying really hard to get to work. So that's the first shame experience because she's disappointed in herself. She's let herself down. So she's getting ready to go to work. And then as she's preparing to leave, there's a note from her roommate that says, Hi, just a reminder that it was your week to clean up the bathroom. And there's a little row of smiley faces below it. And and Natalie, again, sort of feels bad because she didn't do what she said she was going to do, but then she kind of, like, brushes it off and calls her, her roommate a neat freak. Um, so that's that's a way of kind of, like, shifting blame onto somebody else rather than mm-hmm. owning responsibility for it. So then she is late, and she walks into work, and the receptionist says, wow, 45 minutes, that must be a record even for you. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and and laughs. It's kind of one of those not very funny jokes. And Natalie says, it wasn't my fault. There was an accident on the interstate. Well, there wasn't really an accident on the interstate, but she was oh. justifying herself yes. and trying to shift blame again. So that's something else people do all the time without even realizing it is, is they, they tell these little lies, you know? Little white that's lies. A, yeah. Little white lies. It's so, so common. So then she's also got her performance review and she sits down at, you know, at 11 o'clock with the office manager and, and she gets like a pretty mediocre review and some things are said about her that are absolutely true. That she's always rushing through things um, because she's late for work and trying to play mm-hmm. catch up and they just want her to slow down a little bit and pay attention to details. Very kindly done, but she's she's pretty upset, as most of us would be. But then as the day goes on, she starts thinking, you know, working for a law firm is really kind of boring, and maybe she would do better in a more creative environment, you know, surrounded by more creative people like she is, which is she's again, she's getting herself off the hook. She's sort of expressing contempt for the place mm. where she works rather than owning this valid criticism she received. Um, and then, you know, the... The horrible end to the day is she gets a, a message from her boyfriend on her voicemail saying, but makes it clear he's he's dumping her, that the relationship is over. And she, you know, she sort of screams, you know, men are such assholes. <laughs> because she, she and, and getting indignant and righteous and blaming is another common way of um, 
you know, dealing with shame. So none of these reactions is pathological, right? She's not ill. She's doing something all of us have done at one time or another. Right. And they're, they're temporary ways to shore up our self-esteem when we're hurt. And hopefully we recover over time and, and then we lick our wounds and we try and learn something from the experience and see if we can grow. Yeah, so when I was really struck by this story because I, I went into this book thinking that shame was this big toxic emotion, you know, that followed abuse or trauma, you know, not something that followed little slights like this. And what she goes through is so relatable. Like, who who hasn't pretended that there was an accident or that there was traffic when they were late? And but her, you know, her deflecting and blaming and devaluing the job, you know, when she gets her bad performance review and, you know, deciding that all all men are, are assholes, you know, when when it's clear her boyfriend is about to dump her. Just it's so relatable, but not what we usually think of as, you know, capital letters, shame. And so with all these different um, ways that it can manifest and ways we can identify it, how do we move forward from feeling shame? Like if, if it has all these diverse uh, manifestations, are there some things we can do to move forward that are universal or that get to the root of all these different manifestations? Yeah, there are. It's one of the main the main points I want to make is that because of the way we think about shame as this big, scary, all-caps, toxic experience, we tend to look at it as an enemy, as something, you know, to be avoided at all costs. And, mm-hmm. and that may be true for the big, scary manifestation, manifestations, but sometimes shame is an appropriate response. And it tells us something about our expectations for ourselves when we've let ourselves down, when Mm. we've disappointed ourselves. Sometimes you need to listen to shame and try to learn something from it because it has a useful lesson to you. So I give give some examples in the book, but one of mine is sort of like misbehaving at at a social engagement and becoming a little too assertive in a conversation and then feeling both embarrassed and defensive about it in the days that followed, and then finally recognizing that I was being defensive because I didn't want to admit I'd done something that I'd let myself down. You know, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was ashamed of myself. And, mm-hmm. and what could I learn about my behavior so that I could do better the next time to be more self-aware and more sensitive in the future? I think that's a common thing, but we're so defended against shame that we usually miss that opportunity to learn from it. That makes sense. So we're so busy trying to either shift the blame or or be defensive that we forget that it's actually a learning opportunity. Right. Got it. And what else can we do to move forward from shame? Well, I think the most important thing is just to recognize that shame is is ubiquitous. It's every day. It's something that we all either encounter or anticipate constantly throughout social life. I, I the more I researched this book and the more I thought about it, it just seemed to me that in a way, everything is about shame. It's all about mm. shame. You're invited to a party and you're trying to decide what you're going to wear. Now, why? Why Why do you care? Because you don't want to stand out in some way like you're overdressed or you're underdressed. So you're thinking about it as you're standing there in front of the closet trying to figure out what you're going to wear and you don't realize that it's it's all about shame. It's all about anticipating and avoiding a shame experience, which is fine. 
You know, there's nothing mm. wrong with that. You know, it makes sense to try to avoid that painful experience when you can. So I guess that's the most important thing is to recognize that shame is everywhere. It's normal and thinking about anticipating and trying to deal with it is a normal part of everyday life. So it's it's part of our like common humanity and its existence doesn't necessarily mean that something is horribly wrong like in our life it just it means that this is something we're going to experience and to just be aware that everybody else is experiencing it at some point as well can can be helpful. Exactly. And here's where we take a quick break. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at In the book, you talk about the role of, of setting goals and trying to, you know, achieve the goals you set. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that can counteract shame? Right. So the real antidote to shame is building pride, something to offset feelings of disappointment or defect or unworthiness. You know, you, you you don't get to feel good about yourself just because, you know, you kind mm. of have to earn it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another big point I make in, in the book, sort of in contradistinction to the self-esteem movement, which is sort of lavished praise on everybody and just tell everybody they're great. And, you know, that, that really doesn't work. Yeah, it's regardless of effort or performance. Yeah, sure. So I in the exercises in the book... There's there's a sequential set of exercises, but sort of midway through them, uh, I start talking about bringing intention into focus and real recognizing what it is you expect of yourself, defining your set of values, defining your goals, and that can be as little as you know I, I'm I want to get to work on time every day, you know, knowing what mm-hmm. you expect of yourself and working towards it, and then if you if you don't succeed, you will inevitably feel shame. And being able to bear that shame, sort of try to figure out, well, why, what did I do that I didn't get to work on time today? What could I do better tomorrow? That's really important. And then, you know, continuing to work work towards it. And then when you succeed, you get to feel proud of yourself. You've, you've earned it. And then that feeling goes even deeper and becomes more important when you share it with the people who, who matter most to you. Building pride and self-esteem mm. is an interpersonal experience. So rather than deflecting or shifting blame to, you know, to look at an instance where you're feeling ashamed, think, okay, how can I do this better? What can I learn from this? Owning it and then trying to make those 
changes. And when you have successfully done that, to be proud of it and also to, you know, to share with your fan club, to, to share with the people who will support you. And it sounds really simple, but it's it's actually very hard. Yeah. I mean, I think most of that, especially when we have this kind of anti-shame attitude in our society, most of us don't tolerate shame and self-disappointment very well. We make excuses for ourselves or we look away or we get defensive or we blame somebody else. It's really kind of hard to own that. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's one of the one of the one of the few negative side effects of the happiness movement is that we feel like we have to be happy all the time, and so to own that we did something wrong or that we are at fault or that uh, we you know could do better, yeah, is is antithesis to that, but but so important. So we put behavior first. We do the things. We set the goals. We achieve you know even even smaller goals, and that in turn changes the voice in our head. We can't change the voice in our head preemptively. Right, but you can have another voice in your head that says something louder. Yes. It's goals, and it's living up to those goals, but it's also living up to our values, being the kind uh. of person we respect, treating people well, behaving you know, in a respect, respectable way. Mm. That's more powerful than achievements, absolutely. I think so. Yeah. Harder to do. Sure. Well, this is, this is so helpful. I, I, it's, it's so helpful to just to hear shame, normalized and relatable, and to also know that there are lots of things we can do. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Burgo, for talking with me today. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Dr. Burgo's newest book is titled Shame. Free yourself, find joy, and build true self-esteem. And you can pick it up wherever you like to get your books. Thank you so much for making Savvy Psychologist a part of your life. If you are in the Boston area, come on out on November 2nd and 3rd to the Sound Education Podcast Conference and Festival. I'll be doing a live talk on Saturday, and I'd love to meet you there in person. You can check it out at soundeducation.fm. That's soundeducation.fm. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week. And as always, I will see you here next Friday for a happier, healthier mind. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.